You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Let's open in prayer. Father, we're going to look into your word again this morning with delight and with anticipation, knowing that that you speak to us through your word. It is there that we see the Lord Jesus Christ. It is there that we see you. It is there that we see your Holy Spirit. It is there that we find the words of life, for you are the words of life. And so this morning, as we study, help us to apply ourselves, to pay attention to your Holy Spirit, to your words, so that we might honor you in everything we do today. I pray, Lord, that that these words will have uh, driving impact in our lives as your word always does it is sufficient and it is perfect and we thank you for it and we look forward to what you're going to teach us this morning in jesus name amen so last week we left off with verse 5 of chapter 16 so we're going to read about we're going to read chapter 16 through verse 15 which we probably won't make it but but we can anticipate 1 Corinthians 16, 1-15 Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you put aside and save as he may prosper, and no collections be made when I come. And when I arrive, whomever you may approve, I shall send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. But I shall come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I am going through Macedonia, and perhaps I shall stay with you, or even spend the winter that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. For I do not wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time if the Lord permits. But I shall remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Now, if Timothy comes, See that he is with you without cause to be afraid, for he is doing the Lord's work, as I also am. Let no one therefore despise him, but send him on his way in peace, so that he may come to me, for I expect him with the brethren. But concerning Apollos, our brother, I encouraged him greatly to come to you with the brethren. And it was not at all his desire to come now, but he will come when he has opportunity. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong that all that you do be done in love. I said through verse 15, but I meant 14. That's a bait and switch. So last week we talked with, uh, we, we looked at Paul giving kind of his basic itinerary. I'm coming to see you, but I'm going through Macedonia first. And it was up around and down and then back up around in his three, his missionary journey, which uh, 2,500 mile missionary journey, the third missionary journey. Um, we saw how the Christians were, especially at the beginning and in the early church, how they took care of one another, how they took care of um, strangers. It was pointed out some of the questions last week that it's a, it, we, we discovered that it's always been the, uh, the mission, if you will, of the church to reach out beyond her walls and take care of those in need, whomever they are. Um, that implies involvement in people's lives. And so there's no place for a church that is ingrown and only interested in the things of itself. 
we are to be about the work of God in the world. Not to be of the world, but to be in it working. And so that's what the Corinthians were being encouraged to do. And he will continue to do that. Now, he, he gave him his, his basic itinerary in verse 5. He says, uh, I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I am going through Macedonia. And I like the way the Holy Spirit directed him to put that. I am going to Macedonia. Make no mistake. So, but it's incumbent upon the servant of God to always be flexible in case God changes your your last your, uh, your plans at the last minute. I can't, is it Proverbs 16? Man proposes, but God disposes. I think it's Proverbs 16. I should have looked that up this morning. But anyway, we need to be flexible. And then he says in verse 6, he says, And perhaps I shall stay with you or even spend the winter that you may send me on my way wherever I go. Paul was flexible in his plans, knowing that the Lord might very well send him in a different direction than he first foresaw. He planned to spend the winter with the Corinthians and ended up doing that. By the way, in the early, in the in the, those centuries, it wasn't a good thing to travel in the winter, especially in the northern climes. They didn't have snow plows. They didn't have salt on their roads. They didn't have rest areas every, however far they are on the interstates. They, they had brigands and they had bad weather. And they had to live with that. So he, he says, I, he planned to spend the winter with the Corinthians. And he ended up doing that, though, a year later because of his flexibility. It was important for him to stay there for some time to correct some of the many problems that they were having. He also kindly says to the Corinthians that he expects them to send him on his way, implying partnership, brethrenship, and that they were brothers in the Lord. Note that he says, wherever I may go, implying that he was always open to the direction of the Holy Spirit, irrespective of his ideas. In the early days, especially when the church was first being founded, those, those apostles had to be very, very open in anticipation of the Lord changing their direction. It is likely that always playing also in the back of Paul's mind was the possibility that the Roman authorities would arrest him for what his, for his actions in spreading the gospel. This was a very, reasonable, a very reasonable thought and a real potentiality in the first century Rome. The gospel was not authorized and propagating it could certainly bring them into conflict with the authorities of the day. Um, remember Nero, not many years later from here, used Christians to light his festivities by setting them on fire. And uh, these are the kinds of things that Paul was negotiating, if you will, as he traveled the Roman Empire, spreading the word of God, spreading the gospel. So he, he intends to stay with them. And as I noted, he stayed a year later. And then he says, for I do not wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time if the Lord permits. In keeping with the biblical concept of obedience to the Lord, Paul details his desire to actually spend a great deal of time in Corinth. True to the ideals of both obedience and flexibility, Paul allows that the Lord must permit this. He had already intimated this back in chapter 4, where he says, But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I shall find out, not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. Remember, there were, there were some people saying, he's never going to show up. He's all, he's all hat and no cowboy. He's never coming around. He's just talk. And he points out that I'm going to be there. And later on, we'll see him say, those of you who have been saying these kinds of things, pay attention. I'm coming. Do, I want, do you want me to come with a rod or in gentleness? And that will be later on. Actually, that's in another book. 
And further, he follows the principle laid down in the, epistle, in the epistle of James that acknowledges complete dependence upon the will of God. James in chapter 4 says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. So Paul and James, true to being both inspired by the Holy Spirit, were in agreement on this. If the Lord wills, I, will, I wish to remain with you for some time. Again, it's likely that the reports from others regarding the goings-on in Corinth had convinced him that he needed to spend some quality time there setting things straight. Remember, he spent the first 13 chapters, first 14 chapters, no, the first 15 chapters, Setting straight the difficulties that are going on in Corinth, all kinds of things from incest to uh, uh, attacking the beliefs of others to misusing the Lord's Supper, drunkenness, just incredible goings on in Corinth that he's been setting straight. So verses 6 and 7, any comments or questions? Then he says in verse 8, but I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. This was unfinished, there was unfinished work at Ephesus, uh, and Paul had purposed to stay there until it was done. His ministry was characterized by thoroughness, and so should it be of all Christians. We should never undertake a project unless we are willing to give ourselves completely to it. The servant of the Lord must be characterized by diligence, vision, flexibility, and thoroughness, among other things. And Paul is making certain the Corinthians know, I'll be there. But there's things that need to be done in, in Ephesus. And then he says, why? Because he says, a wide door for effective service has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. Wide. It comes from the Greek megas. It means big, number, large, abundant. Um, there were great possibilities, Paul said. Great potential in Ephesus. He notes that he was faced with many difficulties. Acts chapter 19 details the difficulties if you want to look at those. Some of them were spreading false information about Christianity. It was at this time in Acts chapter uh, 19 that Paul dealt with the sons of Siva, which culminated eventually in the burning of many of the books of magic in the city. So then this was followed by a plot, or excuse me, by a riot precipitated by the loss of revenue of the silversmiths, silversmiths because of the turning away of many of the people from idols. They'd stopped worshiping false gods. They'd turned to the Lord, so they didn't need this silver anymore. So the silversmiths were put out of business, or, or their business was greatly reduced. Um, never let it said, he said that businessmen won't do the wrong thing sometimes. <laughs> Indeed, the opposition was great, but Paul persevered in the face of it and would do the same at Corinth, even though there were those who were being petty and vicious. He loved this church, and he wanted to see it prosper. And I would point out that um, whenever there's a place in the world, in any time, today, and I'm sure Justin can attest to this, where there's a wide door for service, there will be opposition. You will not be left unmolested by the world, by the devil, and by your own flesh. Whenever there's an opportunity for great service to the Lord, there will always be difficulties that need to be surmounted. And so should it be, so that when the difficulties are surmounted and the gospel is spread and lives are changed, we can point to the Lord. He did it. It was his strength. Because when we are weak, indeed, he is strong. And Paul attests to that as well. Any comments about verse 9?
Effective work is accompanied by difficulties. Effective work is accompanied by difficulties. Verse 10, now, if Timothy comes, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid, for he is doing the Lord's work as I also am. We read in Acts chapter 19, verse 22, he says, And having sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. So Paul had sent Timothy and Erastus into Corinth. 1 Corinthians 4, 17, he says, For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. And apparently, likely because of his youth, Timothy was not getting the respect he should have gotten for the work of the Lord. Not because of himself. Paul didn't want the people of the Corinthians to respect him because of who he was, but because of the work he was doing. It is also likely that because the Corinthians had been dismissive of Paul's work and authority, that they would do the same to anyone he sent. Although Paul was Timothy's spiritual father, he obviously trusted him to do difficult and demanding work, and thus had sent him with Erastus into Macedonia. He commanded the Corinthians to treat Timothy with respect and to recognize that he was furthering the work of the gospel at Paul's direction. He comes at my direction. It is evident that Timothy was fearful, and Paul cautions the Corinthians not to feed that fear or to, to capitalize on that fear, but rather to make him feel welcome. He compares Timothy's work to the work he's doing. Imagine that. Comparing the work of an apostle to the work of someone that, that the Lord had turned from the evil way using Paul himself. They are co-laborers, he says in the gospel, and both of their work is vitally important to the church. Paul was a team worker and was fully confident in the other men that God had prepared for ministry. He depended on Timothy and he wanted the Corinthians to depend on Timothy as well. It's one thing to be a leader. It's another to be able to properly delegate. And I know it's one of the things I've struggled with all my life. And I've had people tell me, you know, the Holy Spirit was doing just fine before you came along. So there are so many people adequate to the task that God has put in this, bus in this business, yeah. in this building, in this church, in this body. And it's a wonderful thing to be able to, to point and say, go do and know it's going to be gone and done. And then... Not that, we, not that there isn't supervision, but Paul knew how to do that. He knew how to delegate and he knew who to trust. He knew who to take into his confidence and who not to. Remember, he struggled with John Mark at the beginning and he and Barnabas parted their ways. But later on, John Mark became an integral worker, an integral part of the gospel. And Paul commends him, praises him. It's not to say that things can't change. Men can change. The work that God wants them to do, God can change them. So... And then verse 11, and then we'll talk about these two if you have any questions. He says, Paul says, so let no one despise him. Ah, to take no account of, to treat with contempt, to reduce to nothing, reduce his work to nothing. It's not, he's not important. Now, I just wonder what's going on there. It is unfortunate that so little worth is often given to youth. We do it ourselves. Often one will hear someone say, well, he's just a kid as if that dismisses someone's ability to do great things or excuses stupidity. The fact is, all of us are capable in the work, in the, in the, in the, in the employ, if you will, or in the use of the Holy Spirit to do great things or great stupid, or, or without that, to do great stupid things, <laughs> stupid things, at every age. And some are capable of great effort and exploits at a very young age. Noah Mintz 
started her first business in 2008, running art classes for kids during the summer for a small fee. Two years later, she founded a children's party planning business. To make sure her staff was following workplace protocol, she wrote an employee handbook for guidance. She was nine when she started. Nine. Now, uh, Mithir Garamella, creator of Firefly, designed at the age of 17, pay attention Thomas, a low-cost intelligent drone for first responders that can enter and explore dangerous environments to find people who are trapped and thus direct first responders and not waste their time. 17. At the time of the Revolutionary War, those who participated were often very young. Andrew Jackson, who dealt with uh, the British uh, trying to stop him from taking a message, was nine. Lafayette, who trained the troops, was 18. James Monroe, a future president, was 18. Charles Pinckney, 18. Henry Lee, who wrote the Lee Resolution, which eventually became uh, part of our declaration, was 20. Aaron Burr, 20. John Marshall, first Chief Justice, 20. Nathan Hale, I wish, I regret that I have but one life to give for my country, 21. And Bannister Tarleton, the wicked British general, who, or uh, major, I think at the time, who did so much damage to the uh, revolutionary cause, was 21. And Alexander Hamilton, who helped, who helped write the Federalist Papers to get those who were still on the fence to ratify the Constitution, was 21. When God called Samuel, it is very likely that he was about 11 years old. We certainly should recognize that youth does not necessarily guarantee wisdom, but we should not discount the possibility either. Apparently, Timothy had a bit of trouble with confidence. Paul knew that he had great potential, and he trusted him. He was letting the Corinthians know that it was important to recognize the calling on Timothy's life. He wanted them to send him on his way in the same way that he was trusting the Corinthians to send him, to send me on my way wherever I go, in verse 6. Timothy's work was vital in the Corinthians, and the Corinthians needed to recognize it. We would do well to trust young people who have earned that trust and who are doing the work of the Lord. It is important that you, when you trust somebody, you delegate the work to them, young or old, and you trust them to do it, it builds confidence in the Lord that they can indeed do the work that the Lord has for them. And so I, I took this as a caution to myself to quit using that old pejorative, well, he's just a kid. No, goats have little kids. Isn't that right? Yeah. No, he's a child of God, and if God is moving him to do work, what can I do to help him? What can I do to help him and then get out of the way so that God can use him? It is uncertain what Paul meant about expecting him with the brethren. It may be that Paul was expecting Timothy to come with some of the Corinthian brethren, but it is just as possible that he meant that he and the brethren were expecting Timothy in verse 11. Any comments about 10 and 11? About youth? So we don't have any? Okay. I'm glad. <laughs> Jim. By some of your Corinthians, Paul's authority as an apostle is being questioned. And I'm wondering if he's already sensing that from the Corinthians, that that's a possibility that they don't respect him. And, and sending Timothy to him, uh, you know, they may just be tempted to look on Timothy as well. He's doing it by Paul, and he's just Paul's arguing. Right. And slides him that way. Not, not even just for his youth, but maybe for his connection to the apostle. And notice he uses the same word that he uses in 1 Timothy, despise not your youth. Um, so Jim pointed out that it's very likely that the Corinthians were all, Paul was sensing they were already questioning his authority and questioning his wisdom in sending Timothy. Uh, because if they question Paul, they're going to question anybody he sends. 
And so Paul had great confidence. Justin. Right. Yeah. And, and so Justin just pointed out that when Paul wrote that to Timothy, um, it was very likely that Timothy, who was between 16 and 18 when he was converted, was probably in his early 30s. And I find myself doing that, and it is so arrogant and belittling. I was talking to my son last night, and I, we were talking about somebody who did something that wasn't the smartest, and, and I said, well, how old do you think he is? And he says, he's about 50. I said, oh, he's just a kid. And I remembered first <laughs> this verse, and I thought, okay, that wasn't very brilliant, was it? But it was too late, it was out. So I tend to try to use my foot as a cork, and sometimes it slips out and things slip out, but at any rate, we, we need to treat young people who are doing the work of the Lord with the same kind of respect we treat with anybody who's doing the work of the Lord. Because it's the work of the Lord. Not because of who they are, but because it's the work of the Lord. Jim. Something that, sometimes it's okay to, to uh, view young people as young. It's not judging them for their age. Sometimes there is an immaturity or lack of wisdom that's part of youth that we uh, older folks recognize is there. And so it's And I believe that's certainly what Paul did here. Jim pointed out we should come alongside the young people and nurture and, and disciple them. I believe that's why Paul was able to give this trust to Timothy, because that's what he had done. He had talked to him about the fact that he had been a child. From a child, his mother and his grandmother had, had nurtured him in the scriptures. And so Paul had great faith in Timothy, but what, part of what Paul did was he poured himself into Timothy. And, and uh, by God's grace, uh, nurtured someone who he could trust. Now, Paul says in verse 12, But concerning Apollos, our brother, I encouraged him greatly to come to you with the brethren, and it was not at all his desire to come now, but he will come when he has opportunity. It is evident that Paul wanted Apollos to come to Corinth, but Paul, even though he was an apostle, would not force such an issue. He trusted each person to respond properly to the leading of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Now, he would counsel them, and he would encourage them, and he would give them ideas and direction. But, when, but, but he realized that God works individually. He works in individual lives. That's why these, these groups are so dangerous that have someone at the, at the head and everybody does what he says, or in some cases, what she says. Those are the most dangerous cultic situations. In one case, they let the people drinking where we get our famous, don't drink the Kool-Aid. Crazy stuff. But people can be, can be conditioned to do things by a strong leader who has nothing in, who does not have their best interest and does not have the interest of the Lord in mind. And so, um, Apollos was a strong teacher in his own right. Um, he trusted, Paul trusted each person to respond properly to the leading of the Holy Spirit in their lives. He could make strong suggestions, but he would leave the decision to the individual. Apparently, he must have charged Apollos to go, and Apollos objected. 
Paul was satisfied with that and simply told the Corinthians that Apollos would be along eventually. So I'm guessing that in the later conversation, the final conversation that Paul had with Apollos, they discussed why. And maybe Apollos was concerned about what was going on in Corinth or, or he had a, an effective work that was going on where he was at. We don't really know. But um, at any rate, Paul acceded to that. And then apparently in the final conversation, Apollos made the decision that at some point he would go because that's what Paul says. God leads people individually. He may work through others, counselors and friends, and he definitely works through the scripture most, thought, most correctly, but his direction will be individual and he will lead people them, themselves through his word and guidance. Those in leadership would do well to recognize this. They do not own the people that they are responsible for, but rather they are responsible to love, guide, teach, encourage, and counsel them. Final decisions are up to invisible, indivisible, indivisible. Final decisions are up to individuals, not some great man in charge of a ministry. Final decisions are up to individuals, and Paul allows that here. He says, I, I encourage him to come, but it was not his desire to do so at this time. He will come when he has an opportunity. Paul left Apollos' decision as to when the opportunity was there between he and the Holy Spirit, between he and other counsel. Any questions about that? Comments? So, if you've got friends or family that are in groups where they follow this one person with a, with a sly, slavish devotion, that's always bad. The only person we should follow with slavish devotion is the Lord Jesus Christ, period. Anybody else puts their pants on one leg at a time and sometimes they trip doing it. And we need to keep that in mind. God is in charge, not men. Now, he uses men to guide, to direct, to teach, to encourage, to counsel, to nurture, to disciple. But he is the final authority. Then Paul says in verse 13, be strong, or excuse me, be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Whole bunch of trigger words here. First one being men. <laughs> he says, be alert. This word comes from the Greek, which means to stay awake to be watchful and give strict attention. There are numerous things that Christians need to be alert to. And these six items that I'm gonna to talk to you come from um, MacArthur's commentary on 1 Corinthians. Number one, we should be alert to Satan who prowls about like a roaring lion. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, be of sober spirit and be on the alert. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a rolling lion seeking someone to devour, but resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Others are going through the same thing. Never get this idea, I'm the only one that's ever been through this. At the time, it's difficult and it's hard, hard and it's hurtful and it's painful, but you're not the only one that's ever been through it. There are others out there who can help you. Number two, we should be alert for temptation. When we are not paying attention to the things happening in our life, we can be lulled into a sense of complacency and more easily fall into sin. Mark chapter 14, 38. Keep watching, when the apostles were supposed to be praying with him, and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The third thing is we must be alert to apathy and indifference. These are, the, these are two sins that are hard to notice. If you're apathetic about something, you're not paying attention in the first place. 
Christians who are, often, who are apathetic often assume that they are doing well. It is fine to know your spiritual condition, but always be aware that one can be trapped and fall. Indifference to the scriptures and apathy to the things of the Spirit can be especially devastating in this way. <laughs> Christians need to be on the alert. That, so, so pay attention to your own condition. Be alert to your own condition. Be accountable to other people. Be careful to be accountable to other people. <laughs> Fourth, Christians need to be alert for false teachers. We have an example in one of the members of our body, Justin Peters, who spends a great deal of his time both exposing false teachers and equipping the saints to spot them themselves. That's part of the responsibility of a, of a, of a person in a position of responsibility. Don't lead people and, and be, be the one soul responsible for them. Teach them to walk themselves. Teach them to walk and to discern themselves. And that's what's going on here. First, 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4, Paul says to Timothy, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. You ever wonder why you see some people who can believe the weirdest things? This is why. They actually accumulate to themselves people that will tickle their ears. They're looking for somebody who will rubber stamp what they already believe. Don't challenge me with facts. Don't challenge me with the scripture. I'm very happy in my ignorance. Leave me alone. Number five, Christians should do things that will strengthen them, including praying. We should be alert to prayer. Ephesians 6.18, with all prayer and petition, Pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Pray for ourselves, pray for others. In uh, 1 Timothy, it talks about lifting our hands and praying for those in positions of responsibility so that we can lead quiet, quiet uh, lives. We need to be in prayer. Prayer is important. And finally, Christians should be on the watch for the Lord's return. When he comes, he will be like a thief in the night. <laughs> and we should be occupying until he does come. Second Peter three ten and eleven. Peter said to his fault to the to the, well, the readers of his epistle. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, <laughs> and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? I don't want you to be like me in paying attention for thieves. I went down to my wife's coffee shop one morning and I went to open the door and I noticed that the upper lock was unlocked. I thought, oh, the girls had run the shop that weekend. I thought, oh, they left the upper lock unlocked. Well, no worries, they surely locked the door and now it is unlocked. Why didn't they lock the door now? It's still not getting through. I opened the, I'm thinking, why would they leave the door? So I opened the door and it's open by itself and then I see glass on the floor. Then it occurred to me what had happened. Um, we need to be on the alert for thieves. Thieves break in when you don't expect it. They can fool you. Now the Lord isn't a thief, but his coming will be like a thief in the night. We want to be ready. We want to be alert for Satan. We want to be alert for temptation. We want to be alert for apathy and indifference in our own lives. We want to be alert for false teachers. And there are plenty of those, aren't there? Plenty of those. It's just like, I think it's like this in every age, but it just seems like today they're on every street corner. We need to be alert, praying for ourselves, praying for others, and we need to be watching for the Lord's coming.
So that's his first command is be on the alert. The second is for Corinthians and for us to stand firm in the faith. He did not want the Corinthians to be tossed around by every wind of doctrine, but to be firmly settled in their understanding of clear teaching. This is how he could counter misunderstanding of the resurrection in chapter 15, verse 12. And he could deal with the incestuous relationship in chapter 5. He used scripture, he used God's word, and he used reason. He gave them doctrines that they could be settled in their minds about. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 says, As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. This is not describing believing faith, but rather truth, verity, the gospel itself. Scripture is clear on so many things, and the Corinthians were to stand in that truth. People like to question so much, but one person put it this way. He said, there's a lot of things in the Bible I don't understand. There's a lot of things in the Bible I can't understand. But there's an awful lot of things in the Bible that I can't misunderstand. But if you pay me enough, maybe I will. That was, I added that. If you pay me enough, maybe I'll misunderstand them, especially if it'll pad my bank account. Scripture is clear on so many things that Paul wanted the Corinthians to stand in those things. Today is then. It can be a frightful thing to adhere to the truth of the Word of God. There are so many things in the world that conflict with the Scripture, and men back down from declaring them. It can be a frightful thing when the entire world, it seems, is going in a direction that is contrary to Scripture, and you are expected to follow. God expects us to stand firm. What is truly unfortunate is when the false call comes from within the church, when the church begins to say things like, well, there are certain times when an abortion might be necessary. When the church says, you know, the six days in Genesis are actually just a symbol. When the church says, no, homosexuality is just another lifestyle. When the church says those things, it's a false call. That means men and women, in some cases, have chickened out. They've backed down from the gospel. They've backed down from the word of God. And they are no longer spreading truth. They're spreading there's There's no such thing as gray lies. Lies are lies. And when I will not declare the truth of God, I'm declaring something else. It's a lie. So, God expects us to stand firm. And what is unfortunate is when this false call comes from within the church. There are so many false teachers today that it can be a bit disheartening. This is nothing new. Paul was talking about it, and the churches had to deal with it all down through the centuries. Charles Hodge, in his commentary, put it this way. He said, Beset as they were, the Corinthians, with false teachers who handled deceitfully the word of God, 2 Corinthians 4.2, he exhorts them to stand fast in the faith. Do not consider every point of doctrine an open question. The Trinity is not an open question. The creation is not an open question. The fall of man, depravity, total depravity, is not an open question. These are fixed tenets of doctrine that we would do well to recognize. And I just deviated. Then Charles Hodge said this, Matters of faith, doctrines for which you have a clear revelation of God, such, for example, as the doctrine of the resurrection, are considered settled. And as among Christians, no longer matters of dispute. There are doctrines embraced in the creeds of all Orthodox churches so clearly taught in Scripture that it is not only useless, but hurtful to always be calling them into question. We hurt our brethren when we call in 
fixed doctrines. Now it's nice to go ahead and look at them and say, well now why is this so? Let's, let's study together and see why this is so. But to call into question the fixed immutable truths of the God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What do you think that means? I mean, you know, it's like, <laughs> okay, well, it depends on the definition of the word in. No, it's exactly, it says exactly what it means. Stand in those things. Do not be afraid to stand. All may be against you, but the Lord will be behind you. He'll have your back. Third, Paul commanded the Christians to, and I got to whisper this, We're supposed to act like men, he said. That's what they call a trigger phrase today. We do not want men acting like men. We want them mincing and quiet, careful not to exert their male privilege. The problem stems from men not acting like men, but acting like boors, bullies, know-it-alls, unkind, uncaring, and full of themselves. A man who has the strength to be a man in the face of difficulty, but do it properly and biblically, is a rare thing indeed. And let it be said in today's world, probably in the Corinthian world as well, this would be outright rejected and would so be so today. But the Corinthians were not to take their marching orders from the world, nor are we. They were to get them from God's word and from the teaching of the apostles, which became God's word. The main idea here isn't so much of manliness as it is of mature courage. This is someone who was in command of themselves patient and enduring. It is someone who is confident in the truth in God's word, not in themselves, but yet they are teachable. They're approachable. They're not an ivory tower know-it-all who may be right. It's one thing to be right. It's another thing to be awful when you're right. The Corinthians were immature, petty, and vindictive. Paul is telling them to knock it off and quit themselves, as the scripture says, like men. In short, Paul wanted them to grow up he said in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, 13 through 15, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness of deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in what? Arrogance, confidence, vindictiveness, knowing love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Finally, Paul commands the strong, the Corinthians, then he says after this, to be strong. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. The word is actually in the passive voice, which means to be strengthened. Our strength must be the strength of God. We have no more ability in ourselves to be strong than we have the ability to save ourselves. Can we save ourselves? Not a chance. We are elected and we are saved by the sovereign will of God. The strength we must have must be the strength that comes from God, from His Word. We have no more ability to do that than we have the ability to save ourselves. Every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of light, says the scripture. And certainly the strength to stand in the day comes from God. If we stand in our own strength, we will certainly fall. If we stand in the truth of the word of God, only then will we be able to stand firm. It is in our weakness that God is made strong. And as we recognize our inabilities and our lack, 
we are able to glorify God in that everything good that might happen from our efforts is truly a work of the Holy Spirit himself and not of ourselves. This requires self-sacrifice, self-denial, discipline, and commitment. The Corinthians needed to be committed to the sufficiency and the truth of God's word. In it is found the strength to stand in the day. And that is why Paul prayed this for the Corinthians in chapter 1, verse 9 through 12. Or excuse me, for the Colossians in chapter 9, verses chapter 1. Let me start that over. Nine chapters in Colossians? I have a different Bible than you. That is why Paul prayed for the Colossians in chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. He said, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with power according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Any questions about those? About being strong, standing firm in the faith, being a man, and uh, those other four things, those other things? Okay. Then he says this, and this is kind of the, the capstone of this. Let all that you do be done in love. That implies, biblically, that we look at others as more important than ourselves. That we look as the work of God as more important than anything I want to do. That we look at the needs of others as more necessary than our own needs. That we look at helping and building others as the thing for which we were called to do. Building into one another, trusting one another, loving one another. And love is an active word. It's the kind of love which means to set aside our own needs in favor of other people's needs. It's the, it's the agape word. It's the think of others first word. All of these things that Paul just said, he just said, I want you to don't despise Timothy. Do what you do to him out of love. I don't want you to... to uh, to worry about me coming to you. I, I, I don't want to just pass through. I want to spend some time with you. And I'm going to do it in love. Now sometimes love can be tough. It can be difficult. Uh, it can be um, for in the needs, dealing with the needs of others. It can be overt. Oh, that's the word I can think of. He wants them to, to love Apollos even though he's not coming. He'll come some other time. He wants them to recognize that He's remaining in Ephesus because a wide door is open there. Love those Ephesians. Pray for them. I can't come there. Be praying for the Ephesians. Be praying for me to have an effect in Ephesus. And then he says, I want you to, to be on the alert. Be on the alert in love. Stand firm in the faith in love. Don't beat people over the head with our faith. Exposit it. Teach it. Act like men in love. Men who serve other people, who care for other people, who take the time to be involved in the lives of other people. And then, be strong. And we're to do that in love. Whatever you do, and he says this in other places in the scriptures, whatever you do, let all that you do be done in love. Can you do that, Corinthians, he says? Some of them probably went, but there would have been plenty that said we want to. 
and they would have recognized it of themselves, just like we should recognize, we cannot do it. It must be a work of God in our lives. It must be the Holy Spirit strengthening and, and teaching through the scripture and taking us to this section of scripture and back to that section of scripture and to this section, showing us what needs to be done and how to do it and how God would have us do it. So he says, be, be strong, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, but let all that you do be done in love. Let's pray. Thank you to the Father, Lord, that you have given us everything we need to be godly in Christ Jesus. It's in your word, and you have made it clear. There is so much here that we can just, we can, we can see clearly. Yes, we can wrangle about some of the more esoteric doctrines, but the firm, fixed, important doctrines of the faith, salvation, the deity of Christ, the, the uh, depravity of man, and the need for, for uh, regeneration are all there. Help us to be alert of those things, about those things in our lives and in the lives of others. Help us to be praying for the things in our lives and for in the lives of others. Help us to be effective ministers for you in all that we do because of the Holy Spirit in our lives and because of your word. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.